Hello, everyone, and welcome to Charlie and Jake's Hot Takes. We are here for our, for our sixth episode. I mean, time is going by fast. We're really excited, and that's why time goes by when you're having fun. And there's another thing that we're excited about on this day because the NFL schedule came out on Thursday night. We have quite a few games that we are looking forward to, and I'm going to start with one that I am just – I can't wait. Just bring me there now. Monday Night Football, Week 3, Chiefs at Ravens. This one's going to be great. I'm excited for that game. I mean, I think that when the schedule came out, that's the top game you want to see. The teams appear to be the future of the NFL. These look like they're going to be the next two quarterbacks in Lamar Jackson for Baltimore and Patrick Mahomes, the champ for Kansas City. I think that's going to be an epic game. Um, Mahomes is up 2-0 in the series, so maybe Lamar will get a win. It'll be a really fun game to watch. I'm definitely excited for that one, too. And, I mean, there, obviously you want to see new things, but this game we've had it the past two years, and both games have been absolute um, bombshells. I mean, you look at the first game in uh, 2018, obviously it was Mahomes and Jackson's first year. Um, they want The Chiefs won 27-24 in overtime. You'll definitely remember from watching that game, the no-look Patrick Mahomes pass. That was when he brocked it out. I think that was in the fourth quarter or overtime, which makes it even more absurd that it was in a close yeah. game and not some sort of blowout like you might expect. And then um, this year, it was 23-6 at halftime, and um, the Ravens really made it a game. The Chiefs ended up winning by, winning by five, but just to be able to come back down 17 yeah. – this is really – I think this is going to be the AFC matchup for quite a yeah. long time. And, you know, a storyline for me to watch in that one is that Lamar really has been outplayed by Patrick Mahomes in these games. And, you know, Lamar won the MVP this year. He's probably thinking, I'm the best QB in the league, even if everybody else thinks it's Mahomes. So this one will be early. It'll be Raven, the Ravens' really first chance on national television to show that they're legit after that tough playoff yeah. loss to the Titans. Yeah, I think that's definitely like a prove-it game. I think that we're going to get an early tone setter for who's the team to beat in the AFC, who's the probably the best quarterback in the league. And I think with Houston making the controversial offseason moves that they made, I think that it kind of even ups these teams to another level to the point where they're almost on a tier by themselves as the top of the AFC. Yeah, when you have the top of the field coming out and playing early, that's a great way to get the fans involved. People are going to be – Really excited for that game. I really can't wait. Yeah. Um, one game I'm really looking forward to is the Jets-Patriots week nine, Monday night football. I know I'm probably speaking with a little bias there as I'm a Jets fan, but I'm really excited for that game as I think that the AFC East is the most wide open division in football. I think anyone can compete for it. And after what happened last year when Donald saw ghosts, I think that this might be the game where he – gets to learn whether we learn whether he's the Jets quarterback of the future or they have to go back to the drawing board. Yeah, I think that obviously when you look at games you're excited for, there are some where you see the teams they just jump off the board like the Chiefs-Ravens game. But when you see this game for the Jets and the Patriots, obviously we know the Jets and the Patriots, maybe not last year, but usually they play and it's always a fun game to watch. I mean, back to like the Sanchez era, obviously, and even – Recently, the Jets have been always, usually been able to give the Patriots a good game. Yeah. And now that we think that Buffalo is the leader in the division, but 
Obviously, the seven playoff spots, we're not – I don't think anybody's completely sold on Buffalo. I think this game will have some big playoff implications. And, you know, for the Jets and Adam Gase, this is, this is a big year. Like you're saying, Sam Darnold, this is his second year at the helm, and people are going to really start wondering after this year. Like you said, is he the guy? Is he yeah. – where is he at? So playing the Patriots team, who still has an incredible defense, will be a great test for yeah. young arm. Of yeah, I think he's eligible for an extension this year. We know that there's some good quarterback. Darnold is eligible for an extension after this year. This is a good quarterback class. And then you get a game like that on primetime, smack in the middle of the season. I think we're going to be seeing two teams with similar records in that four and four, five and three range. And I think that this is a big prove it game in the middle of the AFC. And is this one at the Jets or at New England? This is in New York. So he's got to right. really bring So it's going to be at Meadowlands. And, you know, hopefully there will be an atmosphere. Obviously, we don't know as far as fans. But even if not, we know that was last year. Like you said, the seeing ghost, that was – it happened in a similar – in the middle of the season, really. Patriots, Jets, Darnold threw, I think, five picks, right? Yeah, and four picks. And a four bumble. picks. And um, our Jake Belmont, I believe, was at that game. I was there. Um, it was definitely a heartbreaker. So, hopefully, he could really bring it together now because I'm – far from sold on Darnold, but I think if he could put some good games together, maybe finally get over that Patriots hump, and who knows what the future can hold. And then another game that I really like is Thursday night. I mean, besides the Dolphins-Jaguars game week three, <laughs> which I know people aren't exactly clamoring to watch, I think Thursday night football has kind of begun to, like, step it up a little bit, you know? It was, yeah, it was one of those things where we always expected kind of like a middle-tier game on Thursday night. But this year, I think we have the Saints and the Bucks on Thursday night. We have the game that I'm talking about, the Packers and Niners, and just like a bunch more that are really compelling games. And I think that's huge because you get people interested Thursday, they like the game, they'll probably watch a game on Sunday. So Absolutely. that's why it's big to set the, set the tone for the week for the football fans. But um, obviously, this is the rematch of the NFC Championship game. It's at Levi's Stadium where the Packers were – Beaten very badly, not once but twice last season, once in the regular season, once in the playoffs. So, you know, the Packers are already such a compelling team because of the uh, Jordan Love, Aaron Rodgers dynamic, the uh, almost like the statement made by the um, Packers front office in making that deal. So I think that both of these teams will are kind of in that place where it's like, you know, the Bucks had the huge offseason. A lot of people are talking about Dallas and their great offseason and great draft. Yeah. But these two teams were the two left in the NFC, almost like this can be a game like we're still here. They may be better, but we're still here. Mm-hmm. Well, I think the road still has to go through San Francisco to get to the championship. They're the champs of the NFC until someone beats them. And then Green Bay is the second best team until someone beats them. I think that these are two teams that are still competing for a Super Bowl. I think Green Bay definitely hindered their chances with the week off season. But San Francisco's looking really good. And I think Aaron Rodgers, they brought in Jordan Love. This is a group of game, probably the best defense in the NFL. And I think we're going to learn whether Jordan loves the future or if Aaron Rodgers has a couple of more playoff runs left in him. And like, like you said, the Aaron Rodgers thing, I think it could give him a new fire. I think it could have him dejected from the team. And I think by week nine, it's late enough in the season where we'll have those storylines kind of building up. And this game on national television in a prominent, probably important game for playoffs. I think that is a great combination. And also the important thing about this game with the schedule is that the 49 – both these teams will be on, like, the bookend 
of like a really tough couple of games. So for the 49ers, they'll be coming off three consecutive games versus the Rams, Patriots, and Seahawks. So yeah, those are three really tough games, and then you're playing the Packers. They could be in a little bit of trouble at that point. Yeah. And then after they play the Saints, the Rams, and the Bills with a bye somewhere in there. Yeah. So this like seven game stretch for them mm-hmm. against really all quality teams is going to be so big for their season. Yeah. And they've yeah. got a really tough go of it. And then for the Packers, they'll be coming off three games against the Buccaneers, Texans, and Vikings. So both these teams are going to be a little bit battered. They're definitely going to have come off some tough games. So it'll be really interesting to see how both teams respond in this Thursday night game. Well, about the schedule, I think that's why I'm really excited for the fall this year. I think we're looking at 20, 25 really competitive teams in the NFL. I think really everyone's got a tough schedule, like almost up and down. It's really deep NFL this year. There's a lot of teams that compete. But more importantly, what I really liked what you said was you said we're going to learn if he's a a lot about Aaron Rodgers. I think when he gets talked about, does he get talked about as a great or does he get talked about as kind of a letdown? And Mm -hmm. I think we're going to learn what what type of competitor he is. Does he kind of alienate himself from the team with Jordan Love coming and kind of be a baby a better? Does he show I'm a competitor? I want to win. We know what Tom Brady did with Jimmy Garoppolo, and he says, I'm going to win. I'm the guy, and he lets it light a fire under him. So I think we're going to learn a lot about Aaron Rodgers. Yeah, that's huge. I mean, it's going to be so interesting this this year for me. Watching the situation in Green Bay is something that I'm going to be paying a lot of attention to. And like I said, these big games, this is where the stuff usually goes down. This is the games where there are scuff-ups on the sidelines, where the coaches and the players argue. When you're in that prominent position, people usually do some make mistakes or excel. So we'll definitely see that. Is there any other I'm really excited, obviously, actually, for two games versus the same teams. I'm excited for the Saints Bucks, both of those matchups, week one and week nine. There, that's how they're gonna open the season. I thought a fun fact to bring about this game is this is the first time since 2014 that Tom Brady opens up as a regular season underdog. Yeah, that's, I mean, he's that's been just... dominant. He's had a reign of terror. And I think, though, the most important storyline, though, is statistically speaking, the two best quarterbacks ever are going to be facing off. And they're really close for a lot of those records, passing yards, passing touchdowns. So it's almost like they're dueling two boxers going at it for the record and trying to take care of that division. Yeah, and, you know, it's like on the AFC side of things, we have that Lamar-Mahomes dynamic of, like, who's yeah. the best in there, the young guys. But then in the NFC, we have the two old men, the two 40-plus-year-olds saying, we're still here. And I think that's just going to be so – that division, obviously, I think four really solid teams. But all, all the hypes around the Buccaneers, but the Saints had a great team last year, and they didn't lose much. They added some. It's going to be so interesting to see. I think that's still just absolutely the Saints division to lose. I think that Tampa Bay is going to be swinging for them, but I think that – New Orleans is still the top dog there until someone takes them down. So it's going to be a lot of fun, both of those games, watching two of the greats to go at it. And I think that you you figure that everybody's going to be more excited for the week one game because, you know, opening day of anything yeah. it's, gets a ton of attention. But I think by week nine, I think it is, which is really a yeah. jam-packed week in the NFC. We have that Packers 49ers game as well. Mm-hmm. That by that time, you'll have – you'll have a lot more figured out about these teams, yeah. you know? And I think they'll be playing for the division. Like, not obviously not for the division, but I think that that will be a huge game in, in controlling that division. And also the storylines from the week one game, 
like what happens there yeah. will really set absolutely. up well into the second matchup. So yeah, that's absolutely. Really awesome. Two great offenses that'll be going at it. So one guy who might have not had a crazy response to the NFL schedule is probably Cam Newton because he has no idea where he's playing come September or later, you know. Um, so the last week or so, we've had a lot more, a lot of uh, rumors regarding Cam Newton, not necessarily regarding teams that are interested in him, but regarding his plans this year. And at first, it's it looked a lot like, he was um, only going to sign with the team that he could be the starter on, and he was going to wait out for an injury or something like that in training camp, which usually you'll see at least one starter who's unable to go by week one. And then Ian Rappaport reported that um, – that uh, he said something just to paraphrase, that all along Cam Newton has wanted to be the starter and that he wants to be a starter and that he probably should be given that, he, that he's been an MVP, he's – done a lot in this league but it seems that Newton will take only he'll take two choices he has two choices right now take a potentially prime backup job or wait until a starter gets injured which may or may not come obviously so it seems like by this Rappaport report that um he will he's willing to take the right situation so my question to you Jake is what constitutes the right situation for Cam Newton well, that's funny because I was going to ask you what the same thing. I don't really know. I mean, there doesn't seem like there's a lot of great situations. Almost everyone seems like they're set with a quarterback or maybe that they're looking for a rebuild. I guess we could talk about New England, but that just doesn't seem to be a great fit for him. I mean, they're the only team that really has a gaping hole at quarterback, and I just don't think he's the guy who's going to be Belichick's best boy. I think one interesting thing we could talk about is Miami. I know that they just drafted Tua, but I think that he's not going to be ready to play. I think he needs a year with the injury, and I know he's like a gunslinger, so I think it could be good for him to wait a year behind Newton. So maybe you sign Newton to a one-year deal. You're not going to have to break the bank on him. So I think maybe Miami could be a good spot for him. Yeah, you know, I mean, that one's definitely mold my mind a bit when thinking about Cam. But I just wonder for Miami, you had like – I think they're in a hybrid approach where they're definitely not out of the woods in their rebuild. It really only started last year, but they've done so many good things so far in terms of acquiring picks, making solid picks, picking up some good veterans and free agency that also given like what you said about the AFC East, how open it is that they could be like hybrid contenders in the weaker division. So maybe you want to go for Cam Newton and say, all right, let's give it our all. We think that we might be the best team in this four-horse race. Yeah. I think it's interesting. I don't think I don't think anyone there really thinks they're the best team, but I think that they know that they have the pieces to compete. And I mm-hmm. think if two is, if you think two is your guy, I think this is going to be a signing that we'll have to wait till August to get. But if training camp comes and Tua's hip doesn't look great, he's throwing the ball a little questionable, and you don't know if he's ready to be your guy come week one, why not sign Cam Newton? You don't have to – it's not going to hurt your piggy bank. I think that that's definitely a very interesting place for him to go. Yeah, and the only thing where it's a, a no-go for me in terms looking from Miami's perspective is that you have fit Ryan Fitzpatrick, who's just like – he's the pro's pro – I mean, obviously, Newton's a lot more successful than Ryan Fitzpatrick, but there's nobody in the NFL with a brain like Ryan Fitzpatrick, a Harvard student during his college days. You know, I don't know who I – I mean, obviously, he'd probably stick around, hopefully, 
if two is not ready, he'd be Cam's backup. But I just feel like even though I think that things about Cam's personality are overblown, that he's an issue, if there's any doubt for them, I don't know why they go there. And that's kind of the same um, the same way of thinking that it looks like a lot of teams are taking. For example, the Jaguars, we talked about them on our first episode, how we really liked that fit of Cam Newton to Jacksonville. But, you know, they came – and then they came out while Andy Dalton was still a free agent, while Jameis was still a free agent, well, and obviously Cam was still a free agent, were out there. Their GM said something along the lines of we're looking for uh, somebody to pair with Gardner. Um, we need another quarterback, essentially. So you'd think, okay, he, they're, he's hinting towards signing one of those three guys. But then a couple of days ago it comes out, they signed um, Mike Glennon. And um, mm-hmm. Doug Marone basically not put the uh, kibosh on it, but he kind of just said something along the lines of, we're very happy with uh, what Mike brings and that that was something that we needed just a veteran. So that looks like another place that got kind of put off. So it's really hard to find a place where Cam Newton fits right now. Well, I think that it's looking more and more. I don't think he's going to Jacksonville. I think that it's pretty clear that they're not very interested. So I think that a nice backup job might be the spot for him, similar to what Jameis Winston did. And I think the most obvious spot, I, this is where I thought Winston was going to go. I think Pittsburgh is a very interesting spot. Big Ben suffered, yeah, he suffered a really big injury last year. We don't know how he's going to come back from that. I really do hope he comes back and can be his same old self, but he's getting up there. We mm-hmm. saw his draft classmate, Eli Manning, retire. So he's definitely not a young bull anymore. And who knows what's going to happen. And Pittsburgh's a really good team. They have a lot of really good defense, a lot of good weapons on offense. So if Big Ben goes down, you got a guy who can come in there and still compete for a playoff spot. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting because uh, Kevin Colbert, who's the um, Steelers GM, along with Mike Tallinn, the whole offseason have kind of been um, saying that they're gonna that they're comfortable with Mason Rudolph at the number two. And Rudolph really struggled last year. I mean, like 14 touchdowns, nine picks. It was pretty ineffective. He didn't, he didn't really throw a deep ball much. It was a lot of check downs. He was not bringing the offense to a yeah. dynamic level. I mean, he showed flashes, and granted, he had about as tough as, of a year as you can have. I mean, he had that hit in week five against Baltimore where he got yeah. absolutely – yeah, he got knocked out. That was just a scary thing to watch. Then, obviously, the Miles Garrett situation had to be something very stressful. And then he finally comes back against the Jets in week 16, comes out, throws a touchdown, and gets the Steelers back into it in relief of the Duck. Duck Hodges, and um, he then goes on to, I think, break his collarbone in the second half. So it was just a rough yeah. year for him, and maybe in light of some of those things, he could be a decent backup. But the Steelers, a lot of the – James Connors a free agent after this year. Juju's a free agent after this year. A lot of those young guys on defense are getting yeah. towards the end of their rookie deals. I think you want to be in a place where you are a contender when – if Big Ben can't perform like you're used to. And I think Cam Newton would be a really good guy to pick up. Yeah, absolutely. I couldn't have said it better myself. I think that this is a year where they have the talent to compete. And you, if Mason Rudolph's the guy, I don't think that they could compete in a tough AFC. But with Big Ben or Cam Newton, all the weapons they have around them, Pittsburgh is absolutely a competitor. So I really like them. And I think that they should think about bringing in Cam Newton. So before we go um, off of this topic, there was one more that's just stuck out to me. And it's almost like 
people are overlooking it and not talking about it a ton. But L.A., the Chargers, I mean, you have Tyrod Taylor there. Anything Tyrod Taylor can do, Cam Newton can do better, you know? Like, when Jared Stidham, I get it. He's young. You might think he's the quarterback of the future. Tyrod either one of the guys that you're signing is a stopgap for the Chargers. Yeah. Because Herbert's their guy of the future. So, I don't get the heart. That's a place where I'm like, really? like, why not? I don't love that. I think that it's nice to have a good quarterback room, but I think if you bring in Cam Newton, it becomes too crowded almost there. You're going to have Herbert. Fighting for reps and stuff. Yeah. Fighting for reps. I think that there's just too many guys. A lot of – we know Tyrod Taylor and Cam Newton are big talkers. Tyrod Taylor saying, I want to be the starter. Cam Newton – wants to be the starter I just think I don't know how well they're all going to fit together in that yeah. room and so we have I, your boy from North Dakota State Easton Stick as well yeah you I'm know I like him. yeah so I don't know do we really and can do you think any of those three guys is comfortable being a third string quarterback I don't think so yeah it's hard for a rookie having him as the third string he's not dressing for the games yeah he's probably working with the third team offense and I don't know how yeah. that that could definitely hinder some of his development. That was a good point that I didn't really think through that much. But, you know, it's very interesting. I think Pittsburgh's honestly the best spot, but I don't know if they make that move. So Cam Newton might be on the uh, – might be all playing the waiting game for quite a bit longer. Mm-hmm. But um, to continue our NFL coverage, we're playing our favorite game, the over-under game. And um, we were just talking about the Steelers and Cam Newton – and, Jake, we're going to talk about the Steelers on the over-under. The uh-huh. Caesars Sportsbook put them out as a over-under at nine and a half wins. So, yeah. um, that's a little – that was a little – I was a little surprised. I thought they were going to be a little bit lower. But um, what do you think about that? Where do you think the Steelers are going to uh, Well, I'm really not very confident in Big Ben this year. I think the Steelers have a lot of talent on their roster. But if I don't think Big Ben's going to be the same Big Ben. And unless they sign Cam Newton, as we were talking about, I think they're going to have some issues at the quarterback position. And when you have to play Baltimore twice, you got to play Cleveland twice. Who's going to be better? And Cincinnati's going to be better. I just don't know if that defense could carry them to 10 wins. I think they're going to struggle. So here's my thing for the Steelers. I mean, I'm wearing a Steelers jersey. We can get, we can get the uh, – the, um, we can put it out there into the universe. I am a Steelers fan. But – I am, I will credit myself in saying that I am a fan who tends to be a little more pessimistic than optimistic. So I hope this doesn't come off as biased. And I really believe in this year's Steelers team, not because I'm a Steelers fan, but more because I just watched them last year and seeing them scrape to eight and eight with the team that they had really just had, had me invested in what Mike Tomlin and Kevin Colbert can do. I think that they are, probably one of the best coach GM duos in the league. And I think they have the Steelers set up for a really solid year in a, in a 10 or 11 win team. I think that's where they'll end up being. And for me, it comes down to this, you know, we have, we had last year, they were, they were eight and eight. They're eight and five with three games left and had a very, they had a good shot at making the playoffs, but the, everything kind of unraveled offensively. It went from, barely maybe close to competent to completely not being able to move the ball. But so that's what I'm saying. You're talking about Big Ben. Do I think Big Ben is going to be the same guy as he was in 2018 or earlier? No. I think Big Ben is going to be 
a middle-of-the-pack quarterback, maybe a little bit better. I mean, I still think he could be that guy because I've watched enough Ben Roethlisberger to know that he really is pretty good at this whole football thing. But they really don't need him to be Big Ben of, of old. They need him to be Big Ben better than Duck Hodges and Mason Rudolph, yeah. which really isn't hard. I mean, the offense last year did not move. They were 27th in points. They were 30th in first down, 31st in passing yards, 29th in rushing yards. If you could bump those up by 10, 15 spots, which I think they'll be able to do with any threat at quarterback, they should be fine. Yes, I agree with you. But I also think that you made the point that it's really hard to replicate defensive success. I know Pittsburgh was forcing a lot of turnovers last year. So I think they're it's a very good defense, a lot of talent there, but I think they're going to struggle to be as dominant as they were on defense last year. And I think obviously they're going to have a lot of relief with big Ben coming back. And I think they should be healthier, but I think for this team to be able to get to 10 or 11 wins, I think they're really going to struggle. I mean, if the defense could be just as good as they were last year, and then obviously the offense is going to be better. I think they could, but I just think, I just don't know about that. Well, for me, you look at the offense, and it's not just Big Ben for these guys. I mean, James Conner missed, I think, six games. Juju missed four. They were injured all around the offense, you know. And I think that – but the one good thing about that was they did reveal some weapons. Deontay Johnson, who was a rookie out of Toledo last year, he really impressed a lot of people. He had nearly 60 catches, almost 700 yards. He had a punt return touchdown. He was just a very dynamic guy for them. And then you had James Washington, who was uh, Mason Rudolph's uh, receiver at Oklahoma State, who ended up playing a lot better when Devlin Hodges was in the game, interestingly enough. But he had uh, he led the team catching in um not catching in yard in yards. He had seven hundred uh, thirty five and only on forty four catches. So he's like that guy. He's um a guy who's not going to be a heavy reception guy, but he's the guy who's going to get you fifteen sixteen yards a catch. And then hopefully Juju can do can be a little bit better. I mean, he just was he struggled when he was on the field last year. The the uh, the at, adapting to becoming the number one receiver was something that he was just not able to do last year. And we'll see if he can progress in that. And then I like the guy that they got out of um, Notre Dame. I think he's a really solid guy, six four. He's a big target for Big Ben, and I think that's a solid group. I just think that the one thing that you said, which really concerns me about their offense, is Juju. I think that he's really going to – I don't know if he has the talent to be a number one wide receiver in the NFL. I think he looked great with Antonio Brown when he was getting all that attention two years ago. But now that Juju's going to get some of those number one corners in the AFC, I think he's really going to struggle. I think that James Connors have really struggled to stay healthy too, and those are their two biggest offenses. So I think we're really going to see what's going to happen with them. And I just have a lot of question marks on this team. And while Juju was bad last year, just to put it out there plainly, I don't think – I don't know if it's fair to him, the situation he was put in. I mean, not only are you becoming the number one receiver on a team that just had Antonio Brown being the number one receiver for six or seven years and him putting up all the numbers that he put up, that's a ton of pressure. And then add that to the fact with they're playing – quarter they're playing he's playing with quarterbacks who other defenses are basically begging them to throw you know they were asking the Steelers to attack them through the air because they knew that was not going to be super successful given the quarterback play 
And he was getting doubles. I mean, I don't know how many receivers would have been super successful in that situation. I agree with you. But, I mean, I think that it's not the offense. Like I said, I think the offense needs to be competent. James Conner, Juju, in the contract years, maybe they can give the Steelers a bit of a juice, if you will. You know, they'll play with a little more swagger, I think. Hopefully, hopefully for them, they can stay healthy, which we hope for every player. But I think they'll be a little bit more fortunate, and the offense will be solid. I think he can be decent. I think he can be 15th to 20th in the league, you know, have a couple of games where they put up some numbers. And that'll be huge because this defense was stacked, you know. Yeah. I mean, this defense is one of the biggest up-and-comers in the league for me. I think that you look at a guy like Stefan Tuitt, he was out for injury. They lost Javon Hargrave, and I think those kind of balance the scale, if you will. You lost one guy to free agency, but you're getting a guy back from – from the injury, from the injured list, and then it's the pass rush and the uh, and the DBs. You know, Bud Dupree is back on the franchise tag. He had a breakout year. T.J. Watt was, uh, I believe, second in the uh, defensive player of the year voting. And you're right about the possibility for regression because it's kind of just a rule of thumb that when a defense forces a ton of turnovers, which the Steelers did, they forced 38. They're bound to not be as good. Because we saw that last year with the Bears, for example. They had so many turnovers in 2018, it almost like was impossible. And the, Jag- and the Jaguars. And the Jaguars. But I think that the defense is good enough to be a really, still a really great unit because they didn't really lose much. And then you just have Joe Hayden playing great. He's, he had a great year last year. You have Minka Fitzpatrick, who by the end of the year, teams were not attacking him. So I think that defense is really, really good. Yeah, another team looking for a bounce back year, this time in the NFC, is the Rams. So I was wondering, eight and a half wins there at, what do you think about them? Over or under, how do you feel? I am hammering the under, Jake. You know, I'm really, I, it's, I, I got to rephrase that. I'm not hammering the under because I'm not super confident. I think I had the same feeling on the Rams as you do the Steelers, where you're kind of not sure you're leaning towards the under, but you could be wrong. Mm-hmm. And, and I'm kind of feeling a, a little bit the same way because for me, I, first of all, when the schedule came out and I saw the Rams had five primetime games, I said, why? Like, mm-hmm. yeah, they're the Rams. They're playing in L.A. They want to show off the new stadium. But I just feel like there are three more interesting teams in that division. But that's just more of a side uh, digression a little bit. For me, I just think, we saw what Jared Goff was when he wasn't playing with elite weaponry. He still had good weaponry last year. I mean, you had two receivers catching over 90 balls and Cooper Cup and Robert Woods. You had Tyler Higbee, who's slowly becoming one of the better tight ends in the league. And you mm-hmm. still had a little bit of Todd Gurley. And it, it really wasn't great. He threw 16 picks. He wasn't winning games for them. He had a couple of good games, but it was often a lot of, He'd make a mistake, he'd do something good. He'd make a mistake, he'd do something good. It was a lot, a lack of consistency. And now with the with the with the uh, possibility that this run game will struggle, because granted, Todd Gurley wasn't having a good year last year. When he had the ball, he was doing fine. But the question was how many carries they were going to give him. Obviously, worried about his knee. But now they're really, I mean, unless you're a huge guy, unless you're buying all in on Malcolm Brown and Daryl Henderson. I think that this running offense will be worse than it was last year, and that's going to put Goff in a position to win them games, and I really don't trust him. 
Well, I'm not too worried about the running offense. I obviously they're far from great, but I think they still those guys are going to put up similar to what an injured Todd Gurley could do because Gurley was not great last year. He clearly was favoring that knee, so I think there is a lot of issues there. And this team has a lot of question marks in. I think we could both agree probably the best division in football. So I think it's definitely worrisome for them. But I think they still have a lot of weapons, and you can't count on a team with weapons to get to nine or ten wins. I think Cooper Cup's great. Robert Woods is great. Don't forget about Aaron Donald on the defensive side of the ball. And I think Jared Goff's due for a big year. I think that he's heard a lot of the hate that's coming at him. And we know that he can play. He got this team to the Super Bowl. So they definitely have the confidence there. And I think that they're going to get there. But while he did, I think that Jared Goff can be a good quarterback on a team that's um, dominant up front, a team that has a lot of weapons, and a team that's really set up and favors the run. That's what they were a little, not favors the run, but has a competent running game. In 2018, this was an all-star offense. You know what I'm saying? You had yeah. Brandon Cooks, who was still an elite receiver. I mean, I think he still might be in that near-elite category, but obviously last year he was injured for most of the season and kind of ineffective. You still had Robert Woods and Cooper Cup. You had your tight ends that you liked. You had Gurley being the best running back in football. It's For me, it's – I don't know how – if he didn't perform in that situation – He's not performing in any situation. And I think mm-hmm. it's good what he did that year, but it just doesn't really sell me on him just based on what he had. Oh, I just think that he could play, though. I think he showed that he could play. And I'm not going to – I don't think if I were a betting man, I don't think I would go and hammer the over like you would hammer the under. But I just think that he's a good quarterback, and I think that he can show that, and he's going to get the opportunity. I think he has the receivers. He's got some good tight ends. There's gonna, they're going to be good on defense. And I know that they had a really disappointing year last year. I believe they were 9-7 and seven maybe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and they had a lot of tough losses, though. I remember I think it was week 15 or 16 on Saturday night. They lost to San Francisco 34-31 in a game they definitely could have won. So that, And I don't think they got that much worse from this year to last year. I think Goff's another year older, another year more mature. So I think that they're going to be able to get pretty close to that eight-and-a-half wins. Yeah, I mean, I think it'll be like – I think we both agree that it'll be around the over-under. Like, I don't think there's going to be a team that wins 13 games. I don't think it's going to be a team that loses 12. Mm-hmm. I don't think there's a possibility of that. I think they're very middle of the wrong borderline playoff team for me. But that being said, the reason why I'm going the under was obviously what I said about golf and the offense, but it's also about what they lost on defense. This team – had a lot of parts that they really, they really, they really struggled. They really didn't retain a ton. I mean, first of all, you have to address this. Aaron Donald might be the best football player on planet Earth in terms of what he can do in his position. There really hasn't been a defensive tackle like this in a very long time. It's a pleasure to watch him. Obviously, he has like 13 sacks a year, maybe some more. Just a great, a great guy to plug up the middle, rush the quarterback. If you're playing him, be scared. Yeah. Jalen Ramsey, I think, is a very shut is obviously great. We've seen what he did with Jacksonville. When he came over, I, I just can't remember I remember thinking multiple times they should have kept Peters and never gotten him because you saw what Peters was doing yeah. in Baltimore. Yeah. Having pick six after pick six, and Ramsey was for the most part kind of invisible in, in uh LA. Yeah. Well, I don't think that's so bad for a corner to be invisible because I don't think he was getting a lot of targets. I think that 
he played well. I think it's hard coming into a new system, a new conference. There was a lot of different stuff. Now he's going to get a year to kind of get acclimated. And I think that he can show that he is good. And I think that that's the question with this team. There's a lot of guys that we know are good. And the question is, will they perform to the best of their abilities? And if they do, this is a playoff team. And if they don't, they're going to be stuck in mediocrity. Yeah, it's definitely that. But the issue, again, just to name some of the guys they lost, you lose Dante Fowler. That's huge. He was your second pass rush guy. Then Clay Matthews, they cut him. I understand you didn't want to pay him. He's kind of getting older. But he was still the third guy for the pass rush for you guys. That's an important player on your team. Yeah. Then you lose Eric Weddle. I think he retired, correct? Yeah. He retires. So you have that. You have probably the vocal leader of the defense, the guy who kind of is like the glue for them. Even if he didn't have a great year last year, he's always on every team he's been, he's kind of been that veteran leader. So you lose that. And all of a sudden, I'm like, what? where, where is this defense going to go? And then one more guy, Corey Littleton, who I loved. I thought, yeah. who I loved. Yeah. Uh, in the present tense, he went to the Raiders on a, I think it was a two-year, $22 million offer sheet. And with an offer sheet, they could have matched that. And the fact that they didn't, I was surprised and disappointed. I mean, it probably had something to do with that hellish cap situation that they're in, you know. This is – the L.A. Rams cap situation is something that GMs kind of uh, probably have nightmares about at night <laughs> when they sleep because it's a disaster. Yeah. Well, I think what you said – I'm definitely worried about Dante Fowler. He's a young guy, a really good pass rusher. But I think that when you lose Matthews and Weddle, those are some older guys who are definitely past their primes. Mm-hmm. So I'm not too worried about that. I think that they're getting younger and faster on defense, which can only help. I think, obviously, they're lacking veteran leadership. But there's guys like Ramsey and Donald in that locker room that can cover that. So I think that they're going to be okay. I'm a little nervous about them, but I just think that Goff's going to have a big year. Maybe it's a hot take. I'm excited for Goff. I think he's going to prove a lot of doubt is wrong this year. Yeah. I mean, Goff, this is a huge year for him. You know, he's in the second year of the contract extension. He got paid a ton. And what, it's, it's crazy because when you're a quarterback on the rookie deal, it seems like you can only do good. Yeah. Everything you do is almost like a bonus. And then you get that big money extension, and every throw you make will be criticized to a T by the fans and the front office. So it's really uh, – it's a tough – being a Mac, being a quarterback getting paid $100 million is something that we all, all might do without uh, – if given an opportunity, might do without, um, without thinking twice. Yeah. But it's not, uh, it's not as rosy as we might think. A lot of pressure there for him. Absolutely. So um, now I think it's a great time to talk about the NBA. We obviously – both of us are – hoping that the NBA can find a safe way to resume their season. And right now we know what the playoffs would look like if they started today. And obviously in the West for the whole season from the tip off of, I think the second game of the season was the Clippers versus the Lakers. And ever since that game, the question has been who's making the finals. Is it the Clippers? Is it the Lakers? But this is one of the deepest Wests of all time. And I think me and you both agree that some teams can crash the party. So, Jake, who do you think is the biggest roadblock for uh, L.A. versus L.A. meeting in the Western Conference Finals? Well, personally, I really like Houston. I think there's a lot of talent there. And I know that they've had their struggles in the playoffs in the past. And I personally think that if we do come back, it'll be one of those L.A. teams playing for the Larry O'Brien trophy. 
But I think if it's going to be one of those things that's not, I think it's going to be Houston. I think that that small ball poses a really interesting threat because I think that you're not going to be able to beat these teams at their own game. So I think that the small ball kind of gives you a different approach. I mean, that's probably the best backcourt in the West, in my opinion, the um, Harden-Westbrook duo. So I think that they do a lot of things well. They have a lot of guys who can score the bucket. They have shooters. So then they're really going to be able to match up with those L.A. teams. Yeah, I mean, I think that Houston's a good team, but I personally am a huge fan of what they're doing in the Salt Lake City near uh, for the Utah Jazz. And I know, obviously, we'll talk and we'll address this in a little bit, the Rudy Gobert issue there. But if we take that away, because I think it'll end up being something that's not a huge deal, this is a really good basketball team. I mean, you have Donovan Mitchell. He, I think he's ready to make that star turn like into that superstar elite status and this could be this year's playoffs with so much attention on it potentially because of the return of basketball could be that time for him to really go out there and just absolutely tear it up and I think the reason that I like them is just because they've got a ton of balance you know you have a guy like Donovan Mitchell but and everybody thinks about him but then you forget that they have Bojan Bogdanovic averaging 20 points per game Probably one of the last guys, if I asked you to name all the guys who are averaging 20 a game in the league, you would, you would say. And then you have Rudy Gobert, who's constantly evolving on the offensive end, getting more dominant down low. He's averaging 15. Then you have Jordan Clarkson, who they really didn't have to give up much for when they got him in Cleveland. He's giving you 15 as the sixth man. I think they're really an interesting team for me. I think they're very talented, and I think Donovan Mitchell is going to be one of the best guys in the NBA. I love him a lot. I'm really high on him. But I just don't think they're ready yet. I don't think Donovan Mitchell's on that level of the LeBrons, the Anthony Davises, the Kawhis, or even the James Harden, the Russell Westbrooks. And I think come late in those playoff games, I think that they're going to be very highly competitive series. And I just don't know if he's going to be the guy who could get you buckets with LeBron late in the game. That's the only thing that worries me about them. Well, where I think that we we assume that the Stars have to be the ones who are getting you those buckets late in the game. But I think where this team is an, is an issue is they're going to have like a, a death lineup almost. You know, you're going to have you know, Donovan Mitchell can score the ball. I know Mike Conley has been a huge disappointment this year for the most part for them having trouble gelling. But he's still an all-star point guard very recent. Or, well, he's never made an all-star game by some <laughs> crazy stretch that I just remembered that that happened. But he's been all-star caliber for most of his career. Had a great year last year. And then, like I said, you have the Clarkson, you have Joe Ingles who can knock down clutch shots. I think that this team late in games, it's not just going to be Donovan Mitchell. They're going to work the ball around, and they're going to create open shots for their guys, and they're going to have good looks because when you have five guys on the floor who are proven scorers, that's hard to defend. Mm -hmm. I like Utah. I really do. They're definitely one of my future teams in the West. I think it's really hard to come into Utah and get a win. That They have a really nice home court. They get really loud in the playoffs. But I just think that the superstar level, I know what you're saying. They are very deep, and they do have a lot of guys. But so does L.A. L.A. has four 20-point-per-game scorers, which is extremely rare, in Montrez Harrell, Lou Williams, Kawhi, and Paul George. So they have a lot of guys you could get buckets, similar to Utah, and their elite bucket getters are better than Utah's elite bucket getters. And then, obviously, the Lakers have that LeBron and Anthony Davis duo, which I think is going to pull them through it. Yeah, and 
I mean, obviously, like you said, we both think that it'll probably end up being L.A. versus L.A. But I don't yeah. think it's as sure as everybody makes it seem. You know what I'm saying? I uh-huh. think that these teams definitely could be one of the L.A. teams. And that's, like you said, I mean, we were talking about the home courts. We kind of forgot that in all likelihood, this will be a neutral site game yeah. in possibly Disney World. So the yeah. whole thing is going to be different. And I think that provides a good shot for one of these teams to make it. But to address what the things that you're saying about Utah, I, I just, I mean, obviously I might not be the most progressive guy in terms of basketball strategy. And I think that the small ball, I like how they are, how Houston is doing, is taking a unique approach to um beating these teams and trying something different, I don't think it's going to end up working against either of these L.A. teams or even against if they have to play Utah because the West is – this West playoff is full of dominant big men. You have Jokic on the Nuggets. You have Gobert on the Jazz. You have AD on the uh, Lakers. You know, you just have guys all around. And then even you might say, well, a smaller team is the Clippers. Could a Clippers – Jazz matchup kind of favor uh, Jazz Clippers Rockets matchup favor the Rockets because they're a small team. I just don't think that one they'll be able to score as well as they've been able to with that defense, and two Montrez Harold is still bigger than everybody on the court. What he's used to being the smaller guy getting buckets on smaller centers, but if you put him against a guy who's a little bit smaller than him, he would have a great. I really would want to see him in a series against. In, against Houston, he's one of those guys that people forget about, but he's near like an elite bench scorer. Him and Lou Will have that great one-two punch. Well, I think Houston's a hard team for really us to talk about because I think that it shouldn't make sense. I mean, by every law of the NBA, it really shouldn't make sense. Guys like Bill Russell are probably sitting there just completely baffled by what they're doing. But I think if you watch them, it just works. The way they play, it just works. The way Harden can score the ball with this small ball, it really helps. And I think that when you have a guy like Harden or a guy like Westbrook, you want to clear that paint. So I think that they're playing the best basketball that they could possibly play of their career, both of them. And I think that it gives them the best chance to dethrone one of those teams in the West. But another reason why I have Utah over Houston is that when they, they made the trade to get Covington not so long ago, it was they were in week two or week three of this experiment of the small ball, um, of the small ball playing this way. So there's still going to be some some kinks that you have to work out. And granted, that I think most likely we're going to go into the playoffs either right away or with a very little bit of the regular season that's left. So just a very small amount of games will be played before the playoffs. Mm-hmm. They haven't – Houston hasn't – they were still kind of in that honeymoon phase, if you will, of this experiment. Everything was going well. But once you have problems with it in the playoffs, I think this whole strategy is just going to be a little bit too young if for them to really succeed against these elite teams in the West. Yeah, I see what you're saying. I think this is a hard thing to say because I think that these are two of the best teams we've seen in the NBA in a long time. Definitely, I think, two of the top ten teams of the decade. So I think it's really tough for anyone to compete with that Kawhi-George duo or that LeBron-Anthony Davis duo in the West. Yeah, and if we do end up getting that LA-LA series, I mean, we can just talk about that for a second. Yeah. 
it's going to be crazy. I mean, Kawhi yeah. and Paul George, LeBron and AD, those are just such good matchups. I think we'll get – we'll see how good are those guys on the bench for the Clippers. How good is the secondary guys? Can Kyle Kuzma step up? There will be so yeah. many interesting storylines to come out of that series. That will definitely be a fun seven games for sure. But if any team can beat either of them, I think it's Utah. You think it's Houston. Maybe it's somebody that we're not even thinking of. But we do digress into our next uh, category, and that category is the Utah Jazz. Not the Utah. The Utah Jazz are the team that we were that I was talking about, and they find themselves in a bit of trouble because it appears that there is trouble in paradise, if you will, if you want to call the Utah Jazz the equivalent of paradise, which might be a weird um, comparison. But could Rudy Gobert be traded? Do you want to, Jake, tell us a little bit about the situation? Obviously, it's been a long time so, since the origins. Let's hear a little bit about it. So, well, Rudy Gobert was kind of the man who's responsible for shutting down the NBA season as he was the first player who was tested positive for COVID-19. I think the shutdown was inevitable, but he's the man who's responsible for it. And I don't really have a problem with that. But he was very irresponsible with how he acted before he got diagnosed. He was touching everyone's stuff. He was touching all the mics in the locker room. Kind of very questionable to why he was doing it. We never really understood it. He offered a public apology. But I think that he's very alienated. Oh, and Donovan Mitchell tested positive for it from Rudy Gobert's actions. So I think that there's a lot of issues there. Both men fully recovered, which we're very happy about. But I think that there's a lot of issues there now as Donovan Mitchell is a little bit upset as his running mate kind of ruined his health for a couple of weeks. So it'll be an interesting dynamic there. Yeah, and it's been interesting because we've kind of seen this situation um, evolve over the uh, – since the initial testing, since the initial uh, – t- them both testing positive. So at first, um, this was reported, I believe, early in April – um, a source told that was told that the relationship between Gobert and Mitchell doesn't appear salvageable. Um, he told that to uh, Shams, Sam Amick, and Tony Jones of The Athletic. So you hear that and you're really scared. But a couple of days later, Rudy Gobert himself reported that he called Donovan Mitchell. They had a little bit of a conversation. Obviously, we don't know anything about that or how that went down. But we do know that um, the two guys that that Gobert, we do know what Gobert said, and he said it's we're in a better spot. It was a good call, something along those lines. Just paraphrasing. And then um, just a couple of days ago, the vice president of I think basketball, uh, the executive vice president of the Jazz, Dennis Lindsay, said some uh, was quoted saying uh, about the situation that they're ready to put this behind them, move forward, act professionally. We're very pleased with the collective makeup of our group, Donovan and Rudy in particular. We look forward to moving forward. So I think he's really trying to put the situation behind him, but I don't know if it's behind. Well, I think that it's definitely going to be lingering there for a while, even when we do come back to basketball. But these guys, they don't have to get married. They just got to win basketball games. I think that they'll be able to – both guys seem like good teammates, and they'll be able to put their issues aside for the better of the team. And I think that they will be able to survive and compete in the playoffs as teammates for the foreseeable future. But let's just say that they do have to move on 
from one of those two guys, I think it would be Gobert. And what are some spots where you see Gobert maybe moving to? You know, this one I actually heard a lot about. And when I saw it at first, I was definitely a little bit confused. But that being said, uh, I think it makes a lot of sense. And I think Rudy Gobert would do some damage in the nation's capital. So, for me, the Wizards make a lot of sense for a couple of reasons. Obviously, they're struggling this season. They didn't make the playoffs last season. This year, prior to the suspension of the season, they were 24-40. and 40. Um, Bradley Beal is basically by himself, as um, John Wall obviously has the Achilles injury. He missed a lot of last season, and he will miss all of this season. He's saying he'll be back by the beginning of next year. And the issue for them really hasn't been scoring, actually. They've scored the – if they – play decent defense, the Wizards would be a playoff team, but their defense is horrendous. It's last in the league by a wide margin. I don't know if you remember that uh, the beginning of the season, it was like the second or third game of the year, when Washington and uh, Houston played a 159-158 game in without an overtime. So that just uh, goes to show you how good their offense can be, but how putrid their defense yeah. is. And then there was the Steph Curry quote, when Steph Curry decided not to come back and people were joking around saying he was scared to come back against that Washington defense. <laughs> yeah, Washington defense was going to be a little too much for him. <laughs> uh, yeah. So I think that that's a really good fit. I like what you have to say there. I think that's very interesting. And that Wall, Beal, and Gobert could be a nice big three. But the thing that worries me is John Wall. I don't know if he'll ever come back to be the same. He was a guy who was great because of his speed and that killer first step that he had. So I don't know with all those injuries he's had to his lower body if we're going to get the same John Wall. And I don't think Bradley Beal and Rudy Gobert are going to be enough to get it done in the East. Yeah, but for me, I think the East is pretty wide open. And I don't see why a team like this, if you have that John Wall, Rudy Gobert, Bradley Beal trio, even if you don't think Wall's that great, I don't think that – I don't know why – they can't be a middle-of-the-pack East team and that they could be four or five seed, give a team some trouble. And right now, for the Wizards, you have – I understand you don't make – you shouldn't make the move without becoming – looking to become a championship contender. But we had this same debate last week when we were talking about Chris Paul to the Knicks, that rumor. But for me, it comes well, down – Well, actually, though, I think that if John Wall gets back to John Wall, and Bradley Beal is the Bradley Beal we've seen, and Rudy Gobert is the Rudy Gobert that we've seen. This team's definitely not far from a championship contender in the East. That's a really, really good big three if all those guys are healthy. I mean, I don't know if everything will go perfect and in a perfect world. They're, play, they're championship contenders. And I think that, like you're saying, when you make a move as an NBA GM, obviously you're thinking about the risk, but the the possibilities are enamoring. It's, it's so It's so – for the uh, for who's running it for whoever's for who's in charge for the Wizards, it's so it's such a tempting thing to you know you have two guys that you like and then putting in that third guy who also addresses your biggest need, which is defense. And from also this perspective, I think a lot of people think all right, you should just run with Beal and Wall and maybe keep on to some of those young pieces. To do this, I think you have to get rid of Rui Hachimura, who's had a really nice rookie season. Yeah. He's really showed some flashes. And then Thomas Bryant, who's their center, who is a really solid offensive guy, really struggles defensively, which is obviously kind of the, the theme of the book on the Washington Wizards. But I think that from the, from the Wizards' perspective, you have to think about it like this. 
you have John Wall on the contract. He's taking that contract. The best thing that you can hope for is that he becomes somewhat like his old self and can be a really solid point guard. You're not offloading that contract. There's too many years, too much money. It's just very not. Well, I think the issue, though, that I'm glad that you bring that up, it's going to be really hard for them to pay all three of those guys. Those are three all-star caliber guys. So it's going to be tough to get the finances to work with all three of those guys. And even if you do, there's no way you're going to be bringing in a competent fourth guy to be able to play with them. Yeah, they're going to have to rely on some in-house options there, and that might be an issue. But I just think you look at, the, you look at your, your best-case scenario with what you have now, and you look at your best-case scenario if you're acquiring Rudy Gobert, and the, Go, the best-case scenario with Rudy Gobert is a lot stronger for me. So that's why I think the Wizards are in that position when they can say, all right, we have John Wall. Bradley Beal's locked up, and it already seems like he's not happy. We really don't want him to request a trade. We need to do something to right the ship a little bit. And that's where this move makes sense to me. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I think it's a very interesting move. One spot where I love to really go bad is a team that I love for the future. They've dominated in the past. I love the Golden State Warriors. I think that they have a lot of assets with this year really being played for injuries. I think that they can make a move and get Rudy Gobert somewhere along the line with Andrew Wiggins, a lottery pick, maybe some of those young weapons they have. And then they can put together one of the most dangerous starting fives in the league with guys like Steph, Clay, Draymond, and Rudy Gobert. And I don't even know how much it don't matter who that fifth starter is because I think that that team just flows really nicely. You'd have Draymond Green, Rudy Gobert, and Clay Thompson, which would be lethal on defense, almost on that L.A. Clippers level of defenders. And also, which I really like, is Rudy Gobert is a big guy in the paint on offense, which we don't talk about enough. And those Warriors guys can shoot. So if he could get the ball in the middle and you could pass it out to Stephen Clay, that could be a really interesting dynamic there. Yeah, but I also think – I don't think that package will get you Gobert. I think it's going to have to – I think I've heard that Draymond's going to is a possibility of being involved. And that's what a lot of people are saying. The, they should do is trade Draymond for Rudy Gobert instead of giving up some picks and stuff. And I think if it's give up a lot to get him or just give up Draymond, and as much as the Warriors love Draymond, he's done so much for that franchise, he's – I don't think that he's at where he used to be, and I worry about him a bit because for a guy like him, a lot of what he did re relied on him kind of being that silent – fourth guy to all those stars and I think things might get a little bit crowded with him and Gobert together because both of those guys are going to need their touches or else you risk Draymond being very unhappy and it's it's one of those things where as much as I like think Draymond is the key for them I think that Gobert might be able to replace a lot of what you get from Draymond. Well, I think, though, that Utah's a very smart franchise, and I think that they realize that Draymond Green isn't going to be able to come in and be much value to them as a second scorer, as a second option. So I think that they're not really going to want him, and I absolutely think that the Warriors' two lottery picks, Andrew Wiggins and another one of those young stars, would be enough for them to get Rudy Gobert because this Jazz don't want to trade Rudy Gobert. If they have to trade him, it's because they have to, so they're going to have to be a little bit desperate. And to be able to get two lottery picks for a guy you have to trade away is definitely something very desirable. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. And I think that for the Warriors, this makes them 
right up there with the two LA teams, like you said, maybe the favorite. Obviously, you have a lot of variables. We're going to see how Steph has his prolonged return from injury. Obviously, he came back a little bit, but we didn't see much from him at the beginning. And then we also have Clay coming back from his torn ACL. We'll have Gobert coming off of that, the, the, um, the events that happened during this time. So it's going to be an interesting mix. But for the Jazz, I think that at the end of the day, you really, 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 really hope that um, Gobert and Mitchell can put together their differences. And if the NBA comes back this season, it'll be fascinating to see how Gobert and Mitchell interact. I think there will be a big microscope over the Utah Jazz. Absolutely. So um, that's going to do it for us today. Thank you guys so much for tuning in, and we'll be back next week.